Ladies and gentlemen, it is the, it is the Beyond the Vote podcast. It's that podcast that goes beyond the world of politics and attempts to decipher just how insane this entire nation has gone. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Riley Blanton, your host for this week's podcast episode, and I've got a very special guest, as always. Let's bring him in. It's Mr. Scott Rifen. How's it going, Scott? Hi, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, doing fantastic. Thanks for uh, sticking up, uh, sticking around late, because uh, it is. It's it, You've got an early start in the morning, so we're not going to oh, go yeah. too long. Uh, I, I was delayed, but I have a good excuse, sir. Yeah, I saw. I was watching Star Wars again. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if that's a good excuse at this point. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because yesterday I had I started looking around to see if Star Wars was playing anywhere near me, and it was playing down in Jacksonville, about an hour away. And I thought, well, we could load up the car and go down to Jacksonville, or I could just buy the stupid thing on streaming, even mm-hmm. though I wasn't planning on doing that, and watch it on my big screen at the house. There so you, that's what I did. There you go. Oh, so you went for the digital. You you didn't wait for the physical. No, and I and I had no intention of buying the digital at all. And ah, then, uh, suckered. And then I did. Suckered in. All right. Well, we're going to spend yep. uh, this week's show uh, on your. It's going to come as a big shock to everybody, uh, but on the phenomenon of one Donald James Trump. <laughs> Esquire. We, what what does the what does the J stand for? Is it, I don't know. <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, 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 Ju- Judas. <laughs> All right, so well, a little too easy. Well, um, so so here's the. Uh, there's been so much that's happened since just last week because we recorded a week ago, right? Yeah, uh, uh, that's man. It feels like a lifetime in the world of politics because that this has not been Trump's best week. Uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Uh, well, I will find out in Wisconsin Tuesday. I have a feeling it hmm. does, sir. I here's my theory, and I'll pitch. I'll, I'll, I'm going to give my pitch, and then we're going to jump to Scott and see if perhaps we are at a tipping point in the world of politics. Because we've talked at length about that kind of magical thirty-five to forty-five percent. There's there's been uh, no no exceptions. There's there's been no states. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but as as I recall, no states where. Uh, Trump has gotten above fifty percent. Um, there might be—I feel like there might be one exception. I was going to say, I feel like there was one, but I couldn't um, tell you offhand. But he very consistently gets his thirty-five percent, and his coalition changes state by state. But that is kind of the general number. And uh, as we move forward, he's at a position now, delegate-wise, where he has to—that has to increase. He needs more like fifty-five uh, percent, which is not terribly difficult, you would think. And then this week happened. Um, it was, uh, it was, uh, an interview with, uh, the, the, jur- God's gift to American journalism, Chris Matthews. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you don't mind his saying so himself. Um, Chris Matthews, who, who pinned him down on a question that uh, MSNBC has asked Mike Huckabee. They've asked Rick Santorum. They've asked this very question to a number of GOP candidates, particularly ones that are know, known for being pro-life, and that, that is the question on abortion. If you think abortion should be illegal, if it's a crime, what is there for the punishment? Uh, and and unfortunately, uh, our man is always well-prepared with policy questions. <laughs> uh, uh, immediately said, 
Well, you know, Chris, uh, you're Catholic. Uh, what do you your What's your church say? Uh, and then he proceeded at, at about three or four different points. I, I looked at a clip, and it was like a total of nearly two minutes of him bouncing around the question until finally cornered. Uh, he he looked to the he looked to the sky for inspiration, uh, and and divine inspiration did not come in his answer. And he just said, "Yes, yes, there should be." Should be some form, and I quote, some form of punishment uh, for women who have an abortion. Of course, if it were illegal, uh, if it were illegal, yes. Uh, um, and and yeah. so, what preceded was, uh, uh, as as often happens with Trump, at least in the media sphere, uh, all hell breaks loose, and everyone's gone crazy on pretty much both sides because that is a very unpopular position from both pro-choice and pro-life advocates, and that sort of seemed to be the end of. The there was of course the Heidi Cruz thing, and uh, and then there then there was this, and I, there have been several issues in the one week that are on the same general topic. Normally, Trump is really good at a bad story, hap- a bad news cycle happens, or a bad debate performance, and he's able to um, change the news cycle so nothing really sticks in the c- public conscience mind. Uh, and so, but in this case. It's all stayed fairly square, front and center. The topic of of women, and I've got uh, I've got it, with all this numbers that are running. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. With all the numbers that people are crunching on delegates, turns out a lot of them are women. And if he doesn't get to that twelve thirty seven, uh, which is looking increasingly likely, this may put him in trouble both in terms of as a delegate uh, math, but in terms of the general election, if he does get the nomination. Uh, he, he's putting he's putting states in play for Democrats that haven't been in play for forever. There's so many issues that I've all kind of just tossed into the ether. Uh, what do you want to take a swing at, Scott? Well, I want to I want to go back to this Chris Matthews thing. And Chris Matthews asks him if abortion were illegal in this country, mm-hmm. and a woman had an abortion performed, would uh, should she be punished? And I had lunch Friday with a friend of mine who was Bernie before Bernie was cool. Ah. It was a Bernie supporter from uh, – I remember this is a guy who used to sit and we'd talk uh, over lunch and he would say, boy, I wish that Bernie Sanders would get into the race over past presidential Oh, wow. Elections. So you're talking yeah, – yeah, really OB, original Bernie. Yeah, yeah. He's an original Bernie guy and uh, and he has always bemoaned the fact that socialist uh, gets such a negative connotation and he's, he's, he's very much a uh, – the Star Trek of the next generation is the where we should head in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he was even telling me Friday, he said, you know, that whole thing was unfair. He said, let's just examine it by premise. And this is a guy, again, this is a Bernie guy before Bernie was cool. He said, let's examine this by premise. The premise he was handed was abortion is illegal. Someone does something that's illegal. Should they be punished? He said, of course they should be punished. He said, just following the premise – all his answer had to be was, of course, they should be punished, and that's it. And that kind of shocked me because I, that's not been the narrative from everybody. But at the same time, there's a certain sincere logic to it. However, I had to counter him with this, and that is Trump should have done what I I saw Karl Rove do a long time ago. There's not a lot of things I love about Karl Rove, but one thing uh, I did appreciate was he did an, uh, an interview with uh, Terry uh, – oh, what's her name from uh, from NPR – I, I wouldn't know. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, she continued to throw at him premises that just didn't exist. 
You know, she continued to manufacture narratives and ask him about the manufactured narratives. And every time she would ask the question, traditionally when I see conservatives ask these kind of questions by left-leaning members of the media, they usually just try to answer them to the best of their abilities, accepting that the premise is legitimate. And that's what Trump did with Chris Matthews. What should have happened is what Karl Rove did, which was go, well, you know, I reject your premise. And then go into exactly why the question's invalid. Yeah, but you're... You're laying the premise at the fault of uh, of uh, Chris Matthews when in the clip, like he, his, the first question is, should it be illegal? And the answer is yes. And then he follows up with, well, if it's illegal, what should the punishment be? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a trick question, but it's a trick question that 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 he well, just walked it, straight it, into. He did walk straight into it, but again, I mean, the, the simple fact is, the if if Chris Matthews says, should abortion be illegal? Look, I am very much against abortion. I do think it should be outlawed, but I know that in my lifetime it will never happen, and I know that no single individual president of the United States can ever make it happen. Done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that and, is, and by the way, really yeah, that's not a power that the executive branch can solve, just FYI to everybody. <laughs> yeah. No, there, there's nothing the, the executive branch can do about abortion. And so what he did was he walked into a trap of Chris Matthews devising, and that's part of the problem with a Donald Trump candidacy that he does tend to wing it. He does tend to uh, just kind of make it up as he goes policy-wise. It's why uh, the other night when he was asked what the top three things the federal government should be responsible for, <laughs> his first three things were security, security, and security. And then after that, he said, well, you know, to name two more, it was health care and education, both of which are in his platform to not let the federal government handle. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> hmm You've you've got a guy who's flying by the seat of his pants. And uh, did you read the piece in National Review this week? Um, I don't think so. I pro- I may have heard some headlines. Oh, from you, what, which one are you, you talking have about? To. You have to because this it's written by a woman who was one of his media. Uh, yes, I know what you're know, talking his, about. I haven't read the piece, but I've heard like I've heard excerpts and stuff on talk radio. Yeah, it's it's an amazing piece because essentially she was there at the ground floor and she says flat out his goal was to be a double digit candidate, which means ten or twelve percent be a strong second choice, be uh, kind of a, an anti-establishment character, uh, uh, candidate to kind of move people over, you know, to, to, to jar the party rightward a little bit, but then he, you know, bow out and, and be gracious and know that he succeeded in what he tried to do. He didn't, he wasn't trying to win. And this is from, this is from a woman who was inside from day one. The goal was never to win. The goal was always to give people an anti-establishment candidate to turn to and to make the mainstream candidates realize that there was a strong anti-establishment character out there and kind of, you know, push them rightward a little bit. And then Trump mania blew up. <laughs> and apparently he has gotten to the point now, he's gotten it so in his ego that he can't drop it now. Yeah. No, I mean, here he is. Uh, I'm sure that comes as a shock to everyone. But, yeah, it's a weird <laughs> place to be in because, yes, it's Trump mania, and he's captured the, this extremely angry... Uh, betrayed white collar uh, voting block, but that white collar voting block is carrying him barely to the nomination so far. Uh, it's mm-hmm. close. We're going to talk about that in a second, but it's certainly not enough to get him through a general election, which is one of the big things I think nope. that and Republicans it never was. Are, are are freaking out about. And I and it's just now you're right. It never was, but now I think the, the reality is sinking in. 
at 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 this point where at least those who are willing to which there are you know a sizable portion of of the conservative movement both in terms of media and in terms of uh, the political sphere uh, trying to do the hashtag never Trump thing but it's 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 strong enough to where it's 50 50 right like he has I think still a better shot of getting it than not but I I was looking at um, uh, John King was on on the Sunday show on CNN and, and did a fascinating delegate breakdown uh, mm. basically saying the difference between a contested convention falls on two factors now one is does he get above 50% in New York coming up in wow just over a week um, a week and some change uh, and or does Ted Cruz under or overperform in California in the congressional districts and if he underperforms in New York which is basically falling below 50% because he has such high expectations there uh, and, and, and loses about 50 delegates that really makes it difficult for him to get to 1237. It was, he kind of broke down each, each and every one of the states and how they can vary some, but it's really just New York, California, and to kind of a lesser extent, Pennsylvania. Those three states that, that really decide this. Which, by the way, I'm just like, I love this. This is so cool. We, I love the idea of sitting down. Like It'll be more thrilling election night in California than it will be election night in November. Because that's really, we might be sitting down congressional district by congressional district um, <laughs> wondering whether or not Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. Uh, that's going to be fascinating. But, but I get to all that as I, I kind of wanted to talk about the whole delegate thing uh, here. Because we, we all have, we've, we've more or less everyone said their piece about Donald Trump. Um, it's just kind of a matter of whether or not political momentum, normally political parties are built entirely structured to where everyone coalesces around one guy. And yes. does that historical precedent take over from here? Or does the level of animosity towards having an enormously unpopular guy who will, by all reasonable measurements, uh, lose uh, in November... Uh, regardless of what you think about him and his policies, just practically speaking, uh, if he's the nominee, he has a bigger uh, deficit to overcome than any Republican uh, in years, in years and years. So it's fascinating to me kind of which which force takes over. Like what happens in terms of uh, which way the momentum shifts. Just if you're to read those tea leaves, Scott, what are you, where, where are you at right now? Okay, phrase that again for me. Put simply, do you think the force behind a party coalescing around one candidate late in the game is stronger than people not liking Donald Trump? Here is the problem the Republican Party faces right now. The reason Donald Trump is the leading candidate and the reason Ted Cruz is right behind him and the reason Marco Rubio lasted as long as he did is because there is a strong uh, amount of the party that is lashing out against the establishment of the Republican Party, who they feel have shoved many of the more recent candidates down their throats. I mean, I think there was a little bit of a truce on George W. Bush between establishment and, uh, and uh, the base of the party. And I think both both got something out of it that they wanted. But McCain was certainly an establishment pick, not a base pick. Um, Romney was certainly an establishment pick, not yeah. a base pick. And I'll go back to uh, 
uh, uh, Bob Dole, who was an establishment pick and not the base of the party's pick. So there's been this tension going for quite some time. Um, and now in this election, it is uh, the base of the party has seen themselves empowered. You know, you constantly hear how the money is everything in politics, and now money's not at everything in politics. Nope. It, it really is personality. It really is uh, the internet. It mm-hmm. really is media. Yeah. Media. Yeah. And it's, and it, the money has, has meant absolutely nothing in this political cycle. And so you, you finally have the base that finally feel empowered. Now, if they go into the convention and the significant portion of the base has gotten their guy up to or maybe over the hump, but at least up to the hump, and at the convention they suddenly go, you know what, now we're going with somebody else. Mm-hmm. You have just ripped that party to shreds. They cannot if, – if Trump winds up being the guy going into the conference, I don't see how anybody at the party can help without, without just wanting to say, all right, that's it. This party's done. We're moving on. We're starting over. Uh, because if you, if you switch candidates and Trump has the numbers or is even close to the numbers, you're going to have a walkout the likes of which you've not seen in decades. Interesting. That's and that's what that's what Donald Trump is saying very strongly. He's yeah. he's saying I'm the guy. I'm the guy who's going to have the majority of delegates. If you do not coalesce around me, you will lose most of my supporters. And that is a legitimate concern uh, for the party. What's interesting to me is that this this goes one of two ways. If he holds strong in in California and in uh, New York and has a clear delegate lead and Ted Cruz does not close in significantly. I think you that is the scenario with which you describe. I think there is an alternate scenario, Scott. And I think that is it's probably I'm going to say 40/60. This is the lesser likely of the two options at this point. However, if one or two more weeks happen with these kinds of uh news cycles that are so consistently negative, um uh that might continue a narrative that gets enough conservatives to coalesce around the alternatives to Trump that he falls significantly short, like one or two hundred delegates short uh, of what's required. And if there is a sort of narrative, a media narrative that turns against him in the way that it did this week, where he couldn't overcome the negative story after negative story on Heidi Cruz, on his position on NATO, on using a nuclear weapon in Europe. On like Again, it doesn't matter exactly what he said. What matters is he's unprepared and, and, and it's showing. And uh, can he turn a- around that image that, that is showing up more and more in the media? I think not, because... That's just who he is. He's not going to change. So it'll be interesting. It's it's not the most likely scenario, but I think there's a real possibility that the more Donald Trump continues to be Donald Trump, there might just be enough who coalesce around the opposition to make a convention fight narrative not look as bad as you describe, but be a, you know what? Towards the end, they came to their senses, and the Republican Party did not vote for him in a majority. He may have the plurality, but not the majority. And those are the rules. We'll see what happens. Uh, It's probably all destroyed anyway. (laughs) This has been... 
Beyond I, the vote, uh, Scott. Uh, your final thoughts, and final uh, where can thoughts folks find you? I talk. I talk to these guys every day on a daily basis, and they are not backing off their guy. Yeah, that's true. It'll be fascinating. Scott can be found at Rifen. I'm at the Riley guy. This has been a short edition of Beyond the Vote. Make sure you're back with us next week. We'll see you later. Boom. There we go. That's like the old uh, Star Wars Tonight days.